Welcome to the Roots of American Music Podcast, Season 3, Episode 3. My name is Clint Holly, and I will be your host today. Season 3 of the podcast is called the Akron Heritage Music Project, and it has been graciously co-produced by the Knight Foundation, the GAR Foundation, and Roots of American Music. We explore the history of Akron, Ohio through music, stories, interviews, and song. Today we tackle a tough topic, alcoholism. Now you may ask yourself, what do Akron, Ohio and alcoholism have to do with each other? Well, it's a little known fact that Alcoholics Anonymous was founded in Akron, Ohio in 1935. Prior to the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous, the disease of alcoholism was treated mostly in sanatoriums, hospitals, and by religious institutions or by social pressure. Very little thought was given to the fact that alcoholics and other addictive personalities needed support from people that were experiencing the same thing that they were. The founders of Alcoholics Anonymous tapped into the idea of a higher power and the idea of a mutual aid society to form an organization that relied on the greater power of all of the members to pull each person through on their own individual basis. In this episode, we talk to two experts. The first is Anev Rabinovich Fox, who talks about temperance and how important Northeast Ohio was to the temperance movement prior to Prohibition. The second expert we talk to is Skip Stone. He's a recovering alcoholic, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and an addiction counselor. And he brings a multifaceted point of view to not only the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, but how it applies to people's daily lives and how the entire organization has moved through the years and into the future. Let's set the stage and let Aniv talk about how temperance developed in Northeast Ohio. Hi, my name is Aniv Rabinovich Fox, and I teach American history and women and gender history at Case Western Reserve University. I'm interested in particular in the cultural politics of social movements and look not only at the suffrage movement, but other reform movements, both in the 19th century and the 20th century, including temperance, and how they participated and changed the public sphere. Resistance to alcohol, or what we call temperance, uh, began in Northeast Ohio um, in the early 19th century, organized uh, resistance. Um, together uh, with the development of the alcohol industry in the region, and especially whiskey, that really made um, alcohol consumption um, uh, and availability able to reach to unprecedented heights. Um, These were not only the reason why um, alcohol came into attention of reformers, uh, social changes stemming from immigration waves of workers, uh, especially from Ireland and Germany, also contributed to increased call to limit alcohol distribution and consumption. Um, So uh, the resistance, at least in the early 19th century uh, was really varied. Protestant and Catholic, women and men, young and old, all participate in temperance activities and mostly uh, blame poverty and immorality on drinking and argued that the solution lay really in putting moral pressure on individuals and political pressure on uh, legislators uh, to regulate alcohol. Um, Yet, after the Civil War, 
Uh, temperance agitation became a much more political endeavor in many ways, and women in particular who increasingly became more and more involved in reform efforts and started to gain more prominence also in that movement um, and also took a, a bigger role, again, representing this idea that they themselves in charge of morality in society. So they have uh, the power and the right to make arguments against alcohol consumption. Um, so in 1869, at the meeting of the Ohio State Temperance Alliance, um, a small group based in Cleveland um, endorsed this formation of a third party, a third political party. And by September of that year, the National Pro Prohibition Party was formed. Um, so that's uh, the one or the first time that Northeast Ohio really uh, plays a role in temperance history. In, 19, in 1874, the Women's Christian Temperance Union, OWACTU, was founded in Cleveland and soon became the largest women's movement in the country um, and also had international uh, branches. They reached their peak around 800,000 members. And we do tend to think sometimes of suffragists as kind of like the main um, women's movement at the time, but it was actually temperance who gained much more women uh, support. The presence of WACTU in Ohio was uh, quite impressive, um, having branches in all Ohio urban centers in Cleveland, Akron, Cincinnati, Columbus, and other cities. In Akron, uh, the organization was led by Maude Hayes uh, Devon, who was the secretary and then the president of the Summit Country Women's Christian Temperance Union organization. Um, another point where Northeast Ohio uh, feature, is featured in the struggle against alcohol is uh, the National Anti-Saloon League, uh, which was a political pressure group staffed by paid professionals, which also originated in Northeast Ohio. Uh, they were formed in 1893 in Oberlin. Um, its strength of that organization laid in event, evangelical uh, Protestant churches mainly, which provided both the funds and the pulpits uh, for league speakers and least of registered voters. But the league also utilized new techniques of mass communication in their propaganda against alcohol. Um, in its single-minded goal was to eliminate saloons. That was um, the temperance um, movement and WACTA in particular had a much more uh, broader mission, although the focus was still temperance. The temperance movement eventually realizes its goals in 1920 with the passage and implementation of the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which banned the sale, manufacture, and transportation of alcoholic beverages. The general lack of enforcement and the rise of organized crime bring the noble experiment to an end 13 years later in 1933, with little help for the alcoholics themselves. So let's meet Skip Stone, who tells us the story of the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous a mere two years after Prohibition is repealed. My name's Skip Stone. 
Um, I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. I've been sober for 6,669 days today. Um, I, I go to AA meetings. I work a program of recovery. Uh, my program of recovery, which was Alcoholics Anonymous, was uh, founded in, uh, started in Akron, Ohio. The first date, uh, the date of its founding goes back to uh, June 10th, uh, 1935. And, um, the reason we use that date is because of the two gentlemen who started AA. Uh, it was started by a drunk doctor who was a proctologist by the name of Dr. Bob Smith, who was a native of Johnsbury, Vermont, uh, but was practicing medicine in Akron. And his cohort was Bill Wilson, who was a stockbroker from New York. Uh, funny enough, he came from East Dorset, Vermont. So they were both Vermonters, which, uh, you know, and how they ended up in Akron was, you know, Obviously, somebody else other than those two guys had a play in this because um, we all in AA understand that there's something else moving in AA other than these two drunk people to start this thing. But anyway, <laughs> right. it just yeah, it just it, they didn't have the horsepower. Right. Um, there was right. a there's a power you can call it whatever you want that was absolutely guiding and directing this process. Uh, anyway, Bill Wilson had come to Akron because he was working on a um, a hostile takeover of a rubber company. Okay. And he arrived there, and the whole process, he, he'd been sober at that time about six months. And, uh, you know, he was a lone Indian out there trying to figure out how this thing worked. He had he had, had uh, what we call a spiritual experience while he had been at Towns Hospital in New York. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Uh, William Silkworth was the head guy at that. Uh, he was a neurologist who was the head guy at Towns Hospital. But anyway, he and Bill had, had many conversations about this. Bill came out to do this trip. It did not go well at all. And so he was staying at the Mayflower Hotel in Akron, which is actually still there. Right. And there still is a phone in the lobby. So Bill had a decision to make. He knew that if he didn't find another drunk to talk to, because that's one of the premises of AA, one drunk talking to another, um, he, he needed to find this out, because uh, find somebody, because if he didn't, he was afraid he was going to drink again. And so here he is sitting in the bar, trying to figure out what to do. He's looking over there, and there is the bar in the hotel he's thinking about going in there and having a drink and but he knows that if he can find a drunk so what he did is there in the in the uh, lobby was was a list of all the all the, the preachers the religious denominations and and who the guy was and the phone number right so he got a bunch of nickels started calling around last nickel last name a guy by the name of reverend tunk um who basically uh, he explained to him that I, he needed to find an alcoholic to talk to and so Reverend Tunk guided him to a woman by the name of Henrietta Cyberling mm -hmm. of the Cyberling family. Right. And she, uh, she lived in Akron, and she was a member of another group called the Oxford Groups, which is what the, our premise is and how our program started. And, they were very, and, and Bill was very much, as was Bob in the beginning, they had gone through working the, the program of the Oxford Groups. But where, what happened eventually was long after AA started was they separated because the Oxford groups wanted to help everybody. Right. And the people of, and Bob and Bill knew that if their AA was going to work, they had to focus strictly on the alcoholics. So okay. they became person non gratis at the Oxford groups, but they got them started. They had originally had four steps, which, uh, which basically Bill took and they turned into six. And then after looking at the six steps that they had, 
they turned it into 12 because they needed to tighten it up a little bit. Then. Right. Because as alcoholics, if we can find a little hole or niche to crawl into, we'll do it. <laughs> that's what we do. I mean, right. That's pretty much it. You know? <laughs> right. You find so, that loophole, you're going you're gonna to yeah, exploit we're, we're, it. Right? We're, we're big on finding the loophole. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, so they basically, they, what happened was Henrietta wanted to meet with them, Bill. And he, she, what she wanted to do, she had a drunk, Bob Smith, and they wanted to get the two of them together. So... Unfortunately, on Mother's Day, 1935, uh, Bob got tremendously drunk, came home, uh, passed out. and But however, they reconnected the next day and set up a meeting, and Bob was very hungover, and he told his wife, Ann, he said, we're going to go out and talk to this guy, but we're not going to st- spend any more than 15 minutes with him, and then we're going to go. Right. So they went out to the, they went out to the, the cottage on the Cybernetic Estate, which is still there. Yes. And it's part of, it's part of AA. Now, the funny thing about it was, is that it, after the last cyberling um, person had passed away, they were supposed it was supposed to be turned over to to Alcoholics Anonymous. However, that last person lived to be one hundred and eight years old, <laughs> which means that, so so patience, man, patience, so to speak. So, right. But but it is part. So anyway, you can actually go to the cottage and and Bob and Bob and Ann showed up there with Henrietta and Bill was there. Um, they went into a private room which you can actually sit in. Right. It is ground zero for AA. Wow. For us. And I have sat in there and it's very spiritually moving to sit in that room because this is where it all started. Those two guys went in there, had a sit down, and um five and a half hours later they came out. Wow. So much <laughs> yeah. for the fifteen and minutes, right? <laughs> so much for the fifteen <laughs> right. minutes. Well, because and, and the and the realization is what happened was, you know, Bob had been trying to find all this all these ways to get to get better. But he had never sat down and actually had a conversation with another drunk. And that was it. So when, when, when Bob understood that Bill was speaking his language, and it wasn't because he learned it in some textbook someplace. Right. Practical experience. Right. You know? So they, the, you know, the connection was just electric. Now, my own personal opinion on some of this is I think, I think God just got tired of dealing with alcoholics personally. He'd been dealing with them for, for centuries. And he finally said, I'm done. You guys like, like all good alcoholics, we wear people out. And I think that, I think the alcoholics in general just worn God out. And he said, you two guys are going to do this and I'm going to show you how to do it. That's how it basically came down. So that, so what happened was after that, that initial meeting, uh, Bill and uh, Bill and Bob, uh, decided, and of course, Bob was, uh, the, uh, on staff at the, St. Thomas Hospital, which is still there, right in Akron. That's where that's where he did practice. Um, there's and so they one found a drunk to work with. They called up, said, "Do you have one?" And of course, the nurses knew that Bob was a drunk, and they said, "We suppose you tried this new technique on your on uh, on yourself." And he says, "Oh yeah." So they went down and they they got um, uh, AA number three, which is Bill D. And he was the man. If you ever see a picture called the man in the bed. Mm-hmm. He is the he is the man in the bed, right? And so anyway, they started working with him. But the, you know, Bob had still not attended, gotten his full sobriety. He went on one last bender to a, a, a medical convention out in I think in Jersey, someplace. Got rip roaring drunk, came home, and he had to go to do surgery. And so Bill gave him two cans of beer on June 10th in the morning before he had to go do the surgery. And those were the last drinks he had. Wow. And he, and he was sober from that time until he died in 1951. Wow. Let's lighten the mood a little bit with some music. And our musical guest for this episode is longtime Northeast Ohio favorite, the Bog Trotters. They play 
Irish music, and they have a deep grasp of the history of the music. They play a few more modern favorites also, and they actually wrote a song specifically for this podcast. So we're going to listen to that a little bit later on in the episode, so stay tuned for that. The temperance movement targeted Irish and German immigrants, amongst others, as scapegoats for bringing this scourge of alcohol to America. And we felt it was appropriate to bring an Irish band in and have them play to lend a little sense of history to today's podcast. So let's listen to the Bog Trotters play a little bit of Mountain Dew for you. flow in a free and easy way but give me enough of the finer stuff that grows near Galway Bay and policemen all from Donegal Sligo and Leadrum too we'll give them a slip and take a sip of the real old mountain meeting in the in the 1930s what what was the typical treatment for alcoholics did they just put people in a sanitarium like yeah what? Per, yeah, yeah pretty 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 much yeah there, there wasn't they didn't just not that they were stupid they just didn't know anything right and what it took was look 
Dr. William Silkworth at Downs Hospital was the first guy that got this. And if you look in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in the beginning of it, there's a section called The Doctor's Opinion. And it was written by him because he finally he understood. But he but when he when it was written in the first edition, he wouldn't sign it because he was afraid he'd be ostracized by all of his medical cohorts. Okay. Because when he's in there extolling the fact that a you know prescribing a spiritual experience, right? I mean that just wasn't going to float, especially during right. the 30s, which was a huge age for scientific discovery. Sure. It was massive. Right. And so based on the starting in the second edition, he did, but. It really, he understood, even though he was, he was a neurologist by trade, but you know, during the depression, you took whatever job you got, but he was at Towns Hustle for a long time. And he was the one that when Bill, Bill said, look, I need to be able to talk and share my story with other alcoholics. Will you let me do that? He had a lot of misgivings, but he, he figured he, look, he knew that he didn't have the answers. Right. And so he was willing to try anything. And so he allowed Bill to start going through this process, and that's really how it started. Right. I mean, the first real groups of, of people that we're talking about were people in, in, in Towns Hospital in New York. Right. And so, of course, when Bill came out and did his thing with Bob, they started working there. And, you know, Bill spent probably three or four months out there, and then he went back to New York and cranked up the group there. And then, of course, the third group that started was in Cleveland. And actually, um, John D. Rockefeller did a dinner uh, i believe in 1940 where he invited all all his industrial friends and a bunch of aas and they sat and they told their stories wow and and, and of course what happened was you know when it, this was reported it's just all of a sudden it, it doubled the size of aa overnight right. and actually cleveland had more members in it than any place else wow okay and it was and it was funny because you know being good idealists that they are when they're trying to figure out, you know, the steps and the traditions and, and writing the book, they would have arguments over this stuff. I mean, Clarence Snyder, who was the who was probably the, the, the main guy in Cleveland, they would there used to be a little diner down on Route 8. OK. And they would literally meet out down there and duke it out in the parking lot <laughs> because to figure out who was going to be right. I mean, right. Yeah, it was it was it was rough in the beginning because, look, I'm grateful that I'm in AA now. I mean, those guys were hanging on by their fingertips in the early days. And they just, you know, they, they wanted to survive. They didn't want to drink. But they, they, it was a real trial and error situation, right. figuring out exactly what they were doing. Tell me more about the, the sponsorship part of this and, and how that, that plays into it. Like, so you, you decide, I, you know, it says the only requirement is you want to stop drinking. Yeah, the so, only requirement for membership is, a, is a, it used to be an honest desire right. to stop drinking, but they shorted it. It's a desire to stop drinking. Right. But understanding that you can't do it on your own. Right. There's no way you'll be able to, you might for a while, but long-term understanding the disease is always going to be stronger than you. Look, the disease is a perfect machine. Mm -hmm. Okay. It only has one job to put you in a hole. Right. And it works at that job 24, seven, 365. Right. That's what it does. And it's, and it's very good at it. We, are, we call our disease cunning, baffling and powerful. And it really is cunning, baffling and powerful. But anyway, when you get when you get when you start coming into AA, the one thing they want you to do is find a sponsor. And a sponsor is somebody with time in, in, in AA who basically has worked the steps themselves. If you're gonna look for a sponsor, you have to ask three questions. Does the potential sponsor, does he have a sponsor? Right. Has he worked the steps with his sponsor? And is he willing to work the steps with you? Right. If he can answer yes to all three of those questions, 
then you got a guy that's good to go, and then he'll take you through the steps. Now, you uh, you you touched on this the the spiritual aspect of, of AA, yeah. and you know I I was reading the the steps last night, and yeah. um, you know I I like the the phrase where it says I understand that God as I understand it. Absolutely. So, so talk a little bit about how it's not a denominational thing; it's a it's a very personal thing. Well, look, the the, the great thing about AA when they wrote the book. And when you understand that the book was written in the 30s, and it has remained unchanged, and so some of the language is allowed to, but look, what what it means is that you get to choose what your God looks like. Right. And you can call it God. You can call it good old Dudley. <laughs> you can call it good orderly direction. You can call it whatever it is. It's not tied to any religion because AA knew that if they were going to survive, because a lot of the guys coming in were atheists, not atheists, but agnostic. Sure. Agnostic is without knowledge. Yes. They just didn't know. Atheist, you know, thinks that it was all created in a cipher someplace and just ran from place to place and there was no direction at all. But no, it's, the idea is you get to pick what your God looks like. Right. And so, and that's the great thing because then there's no, look, AA tried to be all inclusive as much as possible because, you, look, when this thing was started, it was started by a bunch of middle-aged, you know, white guys for Christ's sake. Right. I mean, that's what it was. And, uh, but now it, it you know, includes women, it, all, all religious denominations. You can, you, you know, I know atheists that belong to AA. Right. I mean, basically they have found, understand that there's something working there that is greater than they are. Right. And that's the only thing. It's not a religious thing at all. Matter of fact, they were very careful. If you look in the back of the book, um, look under a spiritual experience. Um, they'll, they'll talk about the fact, I mean, we look, we understand that religious people, and look, if religion works for you and it helps you, hey, knock yourself out. Right. Do what you got to do. I'm not, I am not a religious guy. I'm a recovering Catholic as well as being a recovering <laughs> alcoholic and drug addict. <laughs> right. Okay. And look, I, I left the Catholic church early on. Yeah. Um, now, I, I don't go to church, but I'm a very spiritual person. I mean, I pray every day. I write every day. I read. I read. I have meditation books. I read every day. Right. I need. To, I stay as attached as I possibly can. I work steps every day. Right. It's just working the program over and over. But yeah, the God as you understood is was probably one of the key, key, um, key uh, phrases, and it was given to us by a guy who was who who was a, a serious agnostic. And when he first came to AA, he kept on blasting the, the God thing, right. God thing, until he finally went out and got drunk, <laughs> and he, right. he, 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 he crawled back, and that was his contribution. He was the one that came up with the line, God, as we understood it, because that made it palatable him for him. Right. You know, that worked for him. And look, it really works for everybody. Nobody can tell you, I can sit in a room with 250 alcoholics, and there's 250 ideas of what God looks like, what sure. God is, or your right. higher power, or whatever you want to call it. Right. I mean, my higher power to me is not some guy walking around in white flowing robes and a long white beard. Right. That's just not it. Right. So everybody, you get to pick your own, and that's and that's that's a key component. That that seems that, very powerful. Right. Well, it is. It's that you you want to talk a non-cultish? There you go. Right. That's probably the biggest thing. You get to pick what your God looks like. Are you thinking a cult's going to allow you to do that? Eh, I don't think so much. <laughs> No, you know, probably, probably not. not. The the cool thing about this is is what they ended up doing. Um, the archives at, at AA Central Office in uh, 
Akron is actually pretty amazing. They've got their own archives, and it's worth actually going to visit because they've got a lot of very interesting stuff in there, so to speak. The other sites, like I said, the Mayflower Hotel, which is there, mm-hmm. the cottage, the Cyberling Cottage. Right. That's Stan Hewitt Hall, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, and, and you can actually go there. And instead of, if you don't want to take the whole tours, you just want to see that the, the cottage, they have a separate ticket for it. Oh, okay. You, okay. you can go in and just go see that. Okay. Good to know. And of course, now we get around to what we call Founders Day, which was uh, the meeting of alcoholics in Akron, Ohio, which has been going on, you know, for, for 86 years, I think it'll be this year. Wow. Now, now, we didn't have it last year other than virtually like everything else. Right. But what it is, it's, it's the most amazing thing because... They will literally have 30,000 alcoholics in Akron. Wow. Uh, they, they take over the University of Akron campus for okay. weekends, what they do. I mean, they, they have lodging, food service, the whole nine yards. I mean, it really, it's pretty impressive. And it's, it's interesting because the actual weekend starts on Wednesday, which is where there's a meeting at Christ the King Church in Akron. And it is, it is the first AA meeting outside of somebody's private home. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, the meetings were held in Bob's house or one of the other members because they were very small. Right. And it's, and it's, so it's amazing. People will come to that meeting the Wednesday before the weekend of founders day, because that's the initial, that's, that was the initial meeting. So I've, I've been to the meeting and normally we'll, we'll have a hundred people usually on the Wednesday before AA the founders day, they'll have 300 people there. Wow. And when they start asking for, for, for visitors from other places, I mean, I live 45 minutes away from that meeting, and I'm local. Right. You got people, you got people from <laughs> right. Europe, South Africa, Australia, all wow. over the United States, all over Canada. You name it. People will come because for, for AA, look, for AAs, it's like going to Rome right. for the Catholics or it's going, like going to Mecca, Mecca right. for the Muslims. Yeah, it's the same deal. For alcoholics, you have to once in your life, you've got to go to Akron. Now, wow. for me, it's easy because I live, you know— pretty close so i can go on a pretty regular basis right and i do i mean i go down i take the tour because it's, you know they have dr bob's house that's available there too but anyway they'll have these it's a whole weekend of aa wow and they'll have speakers around the clock meetings they'll have people come in and then I use, on saturday night they'll have a big a big national speaker will come in and right. speak and which is pretty cool there are a lot of famous people that are in aa sure and a lot of people have been around for a long long time you know in the music industry and other places i mean the fact of the matter is that alcohol doesn't have any, doesn't give a damn, you know, who you are, what you are, what color you are, what religion. It's, it's an equal opportunity killer. I mean, right. That's what it does. But the, so anyway, all these people will descend on, on Akron for, you know, for Founders Weekend. What they will do then is on Saturday night, they'll have the big meeting at, at the, the football field at the University of Akron. Right. They used to hold it in, in, in the jar, uh, but it got, you got pretty crazy because, You'd have ten thousand people crammed in there, and then they would basically show be showing it in other other gyms and other facilities around the campus because it just couldn't couldn't hold hold it, it right? All, yeah. Right. All, anyway, and it's just it's it's a great reminder and it's it's great fellowship, right? And people will come back, you know, people have been coming back for years and years and years. And I've been, I've made most of them since I've since I've been sober. Um, it's a, it's a it's a great place to go hang out. I don't usually hang out for the whole weekend, but I go down spend all day Saturday there. Go and see some people that I know. Right. Then we're going to show up. But it's just, you know, that's that's the thing about us, alcoholics. We need other people. It's, you right. know, the first word of our first step is not I, it's we. We, right. And without the we, we won't survive. 
So as we get to the end of the podcast, I want to circle back around to our musical guest, the Bog Trotters. Uh, they performed a live stream from Akron Recording Company at the end of February. And if you enjoy the music that you're hearing in this podcast, I suggest that you go to the Roots of American Music Facebook page where the live stream is archived and you can watch the whole hour plus performance of some great traditional Irish music uh, that we broadcast back at the end of February. Now, artistic director Kevin Richards had asked Nan if she was interested in maybe writing a song specifically for the podcast, and she took up the challenge and she wrote a song called The Alky, where she contacted a few people that she knew that were in Alcoholics Anonymous, and she um, got inside the head of a person who uh, had this disease and um, wrote a song from that perspective. So I uh, sat down with her for a few minutes, and she talked about the songwriting process. And uh, we're going to listen to the song, and then I'll come back and, uh, and bid you farewell. So enjoy uh, listening to Nan talk about her song and uh, the performance. Now let's talk about the song you wrote specifically for tonight, because um, we're talking about uh, the idea of Alcoholics Anonymous was founded here in, in Akron, Ohio, and the idea of temperance. And, you know, the Irish music canon has a lot of drinking songs. A lot songs, of drinking songs. But there's also the flip side, the people that are on the other side of the, the alcoholism. And so tell us a little bit about the song that you wrote for tonight. Well... Kevin put it in my put a bee in my bonnet about it when he asked us to do this, and I've been getting more and more involved in songwriting, and I thought it was something it interested me. I know people who are in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I called one or two of them, and I asked them if they had any specific, you know, things about it that are. I wanted to know, like, do you have regular meetings? Do you? What is, uh, what is the philosophy behind it? I mean, I knew a little bit about it, but... So I was just trying to get some words, a feel for the whole thing. And when I decided to actually do the song, I decided to narrow it down to a one voice, one guy. Right. Sound, it sounds like one guy is talking about his experience. Right. I think it's always the best idea if you're going to do songs to kind of make them a little raw and close to the heart. Right. So that was my uh, my uh, impetus to, to write the song. And it once I decided what I wanted to do, the pieces kind of fell into place. And, and uh, I'm very pleased with it. And it has an old-timey feel, too, which I like. I didn't try to make it a rock tune. or I, right. I tried to make it a Real sound tune, like something right. that would have been written about the time that... Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous was founded, which was 1938, I believe. Uh, yeah, the mid to late 1930s. To, yeah. yeah, and I so I worked in Bill W. and I worked in uh, just a couple of key phrases like a higher power mm -hmm. because I know that's one of the things that they say when you join Alcoholics Anonymous, you have to give over to a higher power. So I used those fra that phrase and a few other little things to uh, to give it some something real, you know, something that could be felt. Well, I like how it ties the kind of the traditional Irish to American country music. Yes. And you're telling a story. And like yes. you said, you use that voice, that one voice, and you tell that story of that one person's experience. And I think that's a, that's a good tie-in, you know, for Roots of American music. It shows how that Irish music is really one of the kind of core foundations of American it music. It truly yeah. is. Well, yeah. It's foundational. There's no doubt.
I drunk whiskey, beer, and wine all of my life. Trying to find release from the grind. At the end of a working day, I drunk up all my pain. Hanging with my secret friend, the bottle. I come back from the war in 45 Happy to be home and alive But I was haunted by the grief And destruction I had seen Hanging with my secret friend, the bottle A wise man came and talked to me one day By the rubber plant in Akron, USA He knew my misery Been in the gutter just like me Hanging with his secret friend, the bottle Bill W. said the meetings are the key There is no shame in telling us your story We were sick of getting lit We swore that we would quit Say goodbye to alcohol forever Basement of the church is where we meet Drinking plenty of coffee and tea When alkies get together They're sure to help each other Stay on that road to recovery So if you need some help along the way Don't hesitate to join me Just throw in the towel Say hello to a higher power and Say goodbye to alcohol forever Say goodbye to alcohol forever Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Roots of American Music podcast. A Higher Power, the History of Alcoholics Anonymous in Akron, Ohio. As always, I have a ton of people I would like to thank. I would like to thank the Knight Foundation, the GAR Foundation, Roots of American Music, Jason Myers, Executive Director, Kevin Richards, Artistic Director. I'd like to thank Dave Polster for mastering work on the podcast. I'd like to thank Mike Fanos for editing work on the podcast. I'd like to thank Akron Recording Company for hosting the live stream and producing the musical performances that you heard today. If you like what we do at Roots of American Music, please visit our Facebook page and our website, www.rootsofamericanmusic.org. On that page, you can find a donation button. If you enjoy what we do, you can donate to Roots of American Music from there. Thanks for tuning in.
We really appreciate you listening. And check in with us next month as we tell another fascinating story from Akron, Ohio. See you then. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains... We'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting, and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.